Well, hi there. Welcome to another episode of the podcast, Energy of the Untamed Heart. I'm Miel, and on today's episode, I am having a conversation with Catherine Imabayashi, who is not only a parent, she's also a coach and a mentor. For over four decades, she has developed programs and offered guidance for parents to help balance the dichotomy between gender expectations in our world. Her lifelong mission is to guide children and their parents as they are making sense of the world with focus and passion to help raise our boys better. Let's dive in and have this conversation. So intriguing. I'm just so intrigued how you went from one place to another, how you developed, obviously through observation and experience for how you wanted to make changes in how can we teach our young children, especially our boys, to grow into more rounded gentlemen and all the things. I'm just so curious to hear anything you'd love to share. Well, there's lots to share. It depends what focus you're looking for. Sure. So let me, my focus is extremely general. My podcast called The Energy of the Untamed Heart is basically to help our listeners have an awareness of the programming or the stories or the beliefs or the thoughts that they have carried forward, perhaps from childhood even, that have shaped or continue to shape their way of being, which is not in resonance with their truth, their heart, their soul. And how do we, through awareness okay. and experiences, return to our heart? let it express with the joy and passion that okay. we're all born okay. to express. There's like two different avenues, kind of. There's the personal one for myself and finding my own truth. And then there's the one connected with my passion. And that's about boys. And that all centers around exactly what you were just talking about in that I think males in general are suffering. And I think part a big part of it is because the story of what a man is supposed to be and what those expectations are haven't changed forever. And I don't think that it's the true version of what a male is in, in his inner emotional world. So, so that's really what that is all about. That's trying to connect with parents or teachers or anyone who's involved you know carries through to our adult male friends and families and partners as well and there there needs to be an awareness first and then there needs to be actions taken so that our society our life is a little more harmonious and respectful so that's kind of the group whose inner emotional world is in conflict with the outer stories and expectations that societies and, and traditions uh, pass on to them. I think you're, it's so succinct the way that you describe this. My brother was the only male sibling 
in our family. So the only two males in the family were my father and my brother. And what was very interesting to me as we grew up and especially as an adult was to see a generational pattern that had been passed on from my grandfather on my father's side through to him and he to my brother. And it was so crystal clear to me that the expectations that the girls had, the the sisters, as opposed to the boys, very different. The expectations of how one was to behave, how one was to, quote unquote, succeed, how one was to either hide or not express emotion, things being taken as signs of weakness, all of those, what I call the old stories, the old way, those were absolutely present for my brother, for sure. So much so that I will say, I believe that was probably the primary contributor to his ultimate demise. Granted, there's other things, but I would say chronic fear and or inability to really tap into the deeper emotions, the who they really are at their core because of societal, cultural, generational expectations. And so to see someone who has really keyed into that specifically for our male population There's absolutely, even in today's society, even with all of the discussion of all the different potential identifying genders and all of that, there's still stereotypical expectations placed on our children, which absolutely carry forward into adulthood. And I'm very grateful to have this opportunity to, to bring this to the forefront with you, because I don't think it is discussed very frequently. No, it's not. And, and the, the most challenging part of it for myself is that whole concept of people don't know what they don't know. So if they don't know there's something more to know, then they're not looking for answers. They're accepting the way things are or just, just not seeing them. It, I really thought that I was quite an open-minded. I grew up in the 70s, so very much 60s and 70s. And very much a free thinking women's liver baby boomer kind of generational female. I thought as I went through my own developments, I thought, and working with children, I thought that I was not putting the little girls and the little boys in boxes and being very open minded. And that has an interesting context in and of itself, because really that uh, way of thinking is looking at both males and females as the same. Like that was that generation that, you know, it's fine for little boys to be wearing barrettes in their hair and little girls having hammers on their tool belt. Like that was that phase in the in the 80s. But that also does its own disservice. What happened was that when my son was uh, three or four and I took him by myself to go fishing and we went down a beautiful little lane that had a lovely little river wasn't too far off the beaten track, but we had to go in to get there. When we were down there and, you know, he's doing his little plastic fishing rod and it was just, it's a lovely day. 
And when I looked up to the path coming into where we were, I saw a group, a gang of five or six males. And I couldn't tell from the distance how old or how young they were, but they were, they weren't young, young kids. So anyway, my reaction was instinctive. It was guttural and it was fear. And it was like, how am I going to protect? This is a gang of guys. How am I going to protect myself and my little boy from this violent possibility? And, and there was no thinking. There was no logical thinking behind it whatsoever. And these boys came down and they were sixth grade boys. They were the same age as the students that I had just finished teaching that year. I knew better than anyone else that these were young boys whose body was just, you know, they were taking off with growth spurts and they were still young, beautiful little boys inside. So, you know, of course nothing happened. We had a beautiful experience together, but that night when I went home, I, I think things to death. And so I could not let it go as to why I reacted that way without any thought, like, where did that come from? And the boys are so sweet. And it just seems so unfair that that was my reaction. And then I started thinking, okay, so when my little guy, 10 years down the road, or 15 years down the road, or however many years, is there going to be another mom, or another woman, whose first reaction to him is going to be fear, because he's a male, just because he's a male. And it broke my heart. And that's when it all started. That's when I started just learning whatever I could. But the shock of it was I thought I didn't have those biases. Like I was, I was and, and that seems to be what happens. Like any of the, you know, experiments or the research that I've kind of done and see if there is some unconscious, you know, gender biases happening those people were usually the ones that said, I'm well aware of that situation and it doesn't happen for me. I'm, And in a situation where they don't know, they are making choices based on their own biases. So it's really difficult because if you're not aware, you think, well, that's not me. And, and it probably is because those are the stories that are deeply ingrained. Yes. And I think the stories, my personal belief is these stories are carried in us, in our bodies, in our emotions, in our cells. And my personal belief is I believe they're also generational. So even though as a young adult, you were raised very... Mm -hmm independent, free thinker, open-minded, probably somewhere back, I would imagine, as a small child, you learn stories like, okay, don't walk alone from school. Be sure you have a friend with you. Don't speak to strangers. Don't get into a stranger's vehicle. I can recall I was raised in a small town as a child before we, we moved back and forth to Europe, but I can recall that I was instructed very clearly if we were playing in a playground or we were whatever, swimming at the pond, whatever the thing was, that if 
there wasn't an adult there with us. You might get dropped off at the local pond with your friends and someone comes to pick you up a few hours later. And I can remember being told so clearly by my mom, do not speak to people you do not know. Do not approach a stranger if they offer you a ride, even if you're tired or cold or whatever the thing may be. And it sounds so silly and it sounds so obvious and it sounds so quote unquote safe. And obviously you're being told these things to keep you safe, but the unspoken fear that's embedded in you is do not trust, be on your guard, be aware. If someone looks like this, this, or this, well, then it must mean this, this, or this. And I think those patterns are established very early on and i think you're absolutely correct the word you use and i think it's getting worse oh i think it's absolutely getting worse yes i i agree i think that the starting place to start to make a shift collectively obviously is starting with our young kids if you can create some level of intervention early then it offers them an opportunity to not have those other kinds of stories and patterns embedded as deeply. I also think the key to it is exactly what you said. It's the awareness. You don't know what you don't know until you do. You don't know how to take an action unless you have an awareness of the thing that requires the action. And so I think your capacity to bring light, to shine light, or awareness to these areas. I've created the resources that I think people can benefit from wherever they are. Um, I would love for you to, to, to share that. I do not have children in a school system. I did not marry. I did not have children, but I work in healthcare mm -hmm. and I see young children every day. And the patterns that you describe are replete. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it makes a difference what country you live in or where you are, what you do. I think this is a fundamental problem of humanity in the way that our kids are raised. And I think it would be so, it, it would make for a better world in my slightly naive view if we could raise our children from a place of love versus a place of fear and, and get that in place early. I think it would help. I think the key is uh, women, mothers. And I think that's where things will change. I think fathers also play a huge part in helping to make the changes, but it's a little bit different because they need to be able to do all the work of, of flipping the switch. Yeah. Whereas when you give birth to male, it's the exact, I don't know, opposite is not the right word, but it's the other half of the human race. So I knew lots about women and same thing, a whole family of women, except for one brother, one father. But when that little boy came into being, it was like, I had no idea. Even though I'd worked with lots of children, it was such a beautiful learning time to try to get a handle on 
you know, what's real? Like who who really is this you know beautiful little bundle? And the more a mother understands, because they're the first contact, really the first love. And if a mother can understand that the things that she does and says and acts or reacts to, that's the first imprinting on that little boy understanding what it means to be a boy in this world. And so I think it's in the educational system, but it's the family first that has the ability to be able to make the changes. And I think some changes really are happening. It creates a lot of hope because you see some boys are being raised differently and they understand their emotional world better. They're able to be more vulnerable, but I still don't think that we're at the point anywhere near the point of, of being able to understand that women bring this beautiful box of characteristics and ways of being. And especially because of all the advances, there's still a lot of room for women's advancement, but there has been a lot. On the other side, though, I don't think we've done the same thing for men. If we can get to a point where we see men and women, they're different and and recognize that together when both differences strengths and weaknesses and just the differences when they're recognized and respected then we bring out the best in each other whereas i, I don't think we're anywhere close to that point yet and that's you know that's a that's a sad place to be it is it is i think you're correct i think we've made tremendous strides and we you and i feel like oh we haven't accomplished very mm-hmm. much but if you if you think about the span of time i think there have been some pretty significant improvements in the last i'm going to say 30 years even yes i have a niece who's in her early 30s and she has two young children and the way that i see her interact with her boy and her girl so there's one of each and how the dad is involved, so involved with the kids. And I think back when I was a child, it was very different. The scenario and the stereotype at the time was mom stayed home, dad went to work. If you needed permission, sure, maybe go ask your father. But there wasn't a lot of involvement in the day-to-day, the moment-to-moment. It was just a very different It was a different expectation then, but I see the change. I see it now. I see how many more dads are so much more involved with their children, which is really a beautiful shift. But I agree. I think there is a lot more work that could be done. It's coming. It's just slow. Mm -hmm. It's slower than what I would like, but it's, it's something And again, I think the key is the awareness. I see it in all the circles, in all of these talks that people are involved in and engaged in the whole healing, self-transformation, self-growth world. It's not that there are no men involved, but it's a very small percent. 
it's a very, very small percent. If you look at the demographics, it's a predominantly female dominated area. And why is that? Why is why is self-growth and self-awareness, self-love and personal transformation for the betterment of your being, your soul, your heart? Why is that so heavily dominated by only one gender? I mean, these are just questions I ask of myself. I'm not asking someone to give me an answer, but I I find it interesting because the reality is my personal perspective is we are all brought here divinely and we borrow a human body for a window of time. And whether you're of the male body, the female body, the whatever it is, the essence of who and what you are is truly in your heart and your soul. And just sort of borrowing the casing for a little while. But yet, as humans, we have all these other experiences with duality and polarity. And it has to look like this. And it has to look like that. And it has to feel like this. And all of the parameters that we put on it. But if you were to strip all that away and get down to what's really at the base of it all, the truth of it is, is we are all an essence of true love pure joy if you really pare it down and it's buried in an awful lot of layers of fear and i'm gonna call them just beliefs that don't need to exist but that's probably another podcast for another day but it just it puzzles me that it is so extremely weighted and i'm just so grateful for you and for your programs this is becoming more available. I think it's critical. What what seems to happen is that when our little boys first come into this world, they are full of pure love and, and magic, I guess. It's just they're phenomenal, same as the little girls. But what happens over time is that each time a little boy acts or reacts in a way that is not acceptable society-wise so you know he falls down he cries and he's told to you know toughen up and nothing to cry about and each time something like that happens where there's this inner conflict about well you know I'm hurt I want to cry but mom or dad is telling me that that's not okay so okay I need to readjust here so that I'm acceptable to the most important people in my world so they put on that mask Mm. And then time on, they put on another mask. And what happens is that over time, there are so many masks that that beautiful, magical, full of love, little male disappears behind the masks. Mm -hmm. And the sad thing is that sometimes that never opens up. And so it's kind of when the awareness can be right from the beginning to try to protect that need to be wearing so many masks then you have a possibility of these new generations of of remarkable men who um, are the people who are they're saying you know if it makes more sense if we can be a family where it's the woman who goes out and is the major breadwinner and they're lucky enough that one parent can stay home for a little bit of the time doesn't matter if it's the male or the female, where you have the 
the mother and the father who really are working as a team and it's not gender divided. And that's what those children grow up in, in that environment. It's a game changer and it is happening. I agree with that part of it. And I think those are the people, it's people that are coming up. Mm -hmm. They're going to have a real impact. I think the other thing that I find fascinating as far as learning more and trying to understand better because we all see it through our own lenses Mm. that that's just the way that's nature but because we're in this time where it's not just men and women like there is now such a gamut in what people are identifying as or transitioning from one place to another place and I've heard one in particular who he grew up as a male, was a very successful career male. And when he was around 50, he changed to become yes. a female. Yes. And excuse me, politically, I'm not speaking uh, the right lingo. But so he became a woman. And then he's had a few, she has had a few TED Talks and uh, heard her on different interviews and that and having that deep of an understanding of what it meant to be a female in society and then to kind of you've got the same heart but then you become the other half of the generation and you see the world through those eyes and people react to you based on that gender that kind of information and understanding is just like it's beautiful because it it's I don't know that you you'll get any better information like because it's lived experience yes uh, I I so agree I think I want to say I think it was Kathy Heller who said it is that we can speak we have the words we can all be very intelligent and hold the conversation but the reality is that the transformation, the real growth, the real change only occurs through experience as opposed to just through words. The words don't create the change. It's the experience that creates the change. And I think that is such a valid statement. And so your example of this person who chose to change gender, that absolutely offers a whole different view and perspective through experience, mm-hmm. not just through, I read about it, I heard about it, someone told me about it. Yeah. And so I think bringing this forward for our next generations coming behind us, I feel like this discussion we're having here, which is the whole mission behind why did I decide to create this podcast, is to just really have connection and conversation about how can we set aside the defining parameters which truly don't matter in the big picture as far as if we can find a way to not hold a judgment to those parameters to really let the essence of who we are come through I don't know what will occur in your lifetime and my lifetime, but I feel that we are here as the initiators of the voice for the next generation to share, to show, to help so that these changes can continue. 
they don't stop where they are currently. They'll, they will move forward to the, the children that we see now and their children. And I think it, it starts here. I think it starts. It, yeah. Yeah. I think it's a really exciting time because I think, I think this is maybe one of the first generations, like it's the baby boomers that are now the senior citizens. Hmm. And whereas in past generations, except for certain cultural groups, seniors are just kind of tucked away on the shelf and, you know, they didn't live as long as they're living now to begin with. But there wasn't the same. Today, I think people who are in that phase of their life, like myself, Instead of, although, you know, retiring from a full-time career of 40 years, it was like, well, this isn't the time to, to kick back. This is the time that I have the privilege of really deeply following a passion. And I now don't just have the education and the knowledge behind it. I have the experience. I, I have a long life of experience. So I think it's exciting because I think more people are not just speaking from the wisdom they have from their knowledge. People who have had long experiences in certain areas are becoming much more vocal. Yes. I think it's quite exciting. I really feel that these are the people your generation, my generation, the value of voice of experience and the the capacity to use your voice for good, for the greater good, for those behind us is much more available now than it used to be. And I have to also say with the the advent of technology and being, I mean, look at us, you're in Japan Absolutely. and I'm in Eastern United States sure we're 14 hours apart yeah. but look at the conversation the connection and the collaboration that we're able to have which just a few years ago wouldn't have been feasible wouldn't have been possible and so i feel Absolutely. i just feel that this is the time this is the time for those of us with a strong mission with a strong voice with a strong purpose in mind to to really uplift up level the collective I personally, yeah. I feel like it's my responsibility. And and hence, why am I creating the podcast? Because I feel like it's on me to do what I can to bring as much awareness to what needs to be seen. And I'm just grateful. I'm grateful to meet people like you. I'm grateful to have the opportunity for you to share your wisdom. I'm grateful to be able to broadcast this globally on a podcast platform. Every little ripple has to start with a pebble. And I feel like I'm the little pebble some days. And where it will go is where it needs to go. Well, that's actually your your analogy is a little bit different, but the one that I have heard that I it kind of keeps me grounded and moving forward is the lighthouse. Like mm-hmm. I'm the lighthouse. I'm shedding the light. And the people who are ready and are looking for this kind of support, they'll find the light. I just have to make sure I keep shining. Yes, absolutely. 
And I also see in the lighthouse analogy, you shine the light and they will see it. And what does lighthouse do? The lighthouse is there to help bring people home, to guide them to a destination, to bring them to a place. So yeah, I I think we're we're using slightly different analogies, but I I think at the end of the the story, we're at the same place, which is really pretty amazingly beautiful, actually. Yes. Yeah. I'm so excited we had a chance to talk. I thank you so much for your time. Can you tell me where people can find you? Um, probably the best place is the website, sunhoodcoaching.com. Beautiful. And everything is on there, the services I have, the courses that I have. I'm active on social media to a point. Probably the best places are either Instagram or LinkedIn. You're right. It takes all of us to kind of sometimes step out of our comfort zones and just put it out there because it's the right thing to do. Thank you. I I really enjoy the people that I meet and the conversations that I have. And I, I hope that the people who need to hear it will find it. 